With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome along to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey! <laughs> it's episode 487 and we have a victory against Wolves as well as the final days of the transfer window to talk over as we head towards the first international break of the season. I'm your host this week, Jack Pierce. Let's talk through all of that and much more are making his first appearance of the season, a man who isn't a big fan of either transfer talk or hot weather, so maybe a little unfair to get him on to talk about the end of the transfer window and a match played on the hottest day of the year. It's the one and only Kevin Day. Kevin, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm very well, apart from the fact it's 125 degrees in the shade. I'm fine. I'm happier than I was at halftime on Sunday. Let's put it that way. Good man. We'll, we'll come on to that. Ke- Kevin, what is your what is your ideal match going weather? Uh, blizzard. Blizzard. <laughs> pretty much. So it turned out on Sunday you discovered that Guinness and 95 degree heat are not a good mix. Not the best of friends, are they? No, okay. not when you've got a jacket. Not when the the Paulson's arms are. They decided last week that summer was over and took down all the awnings on the tables out the back. So everyone was trying to cram inside and there was no room. So there's these poor people baking outside while Graham gave out sweets to children. It's all very bizarre. But for those of you listening from further afield than uh, South London, I think we can testify that it was uh, about as tropical as South Norwood gets on a a Sunday afternoon on Sunday. It was uh, pretty warm um okay joe walker's also joined us joe never present so far this season so i presume you're looking forward to the international break more than most premier league players are. <laughs> i am indeed if but not for those reasons I, i'm i'm excited to see potential minutes for every as a i'm i've got my surname obviously gives away that i have some scottish heritage so that that game is uh i'm less kind of um impartial I, I don't know i kind of have affinity for both england more so but i would enjoy to see my family's reaction if as they just absolutely tears them to bits it's a, a ballsy way to start the pod joe like <laughs> saying, saying you wouldn't mind you wouldn't mind in scotland beating england <laughs> <laughs> whereabouts in scotland do you, are your family from joe um perth and oh nice Lovely. yeah around there there's there are more golf courses than people i but it's uh a gorgeous place, a lovely place, but uh, yeah, you know, even my grandparents from there are known as the Englishman 
when they go back up there. It's that kind of <laughs> very, very little. The, whatever the equivalent of Little Englanders are, you get, you know, there are, there. Oh, no, Scotland, you're not local, you know. That's yeah, it. Yeah. I sense our Scottish listeners grinding their teeth as they listen. <laughs> yeah. we'll, uh... Indeed. Uh, guys, plenty to talk about this week, um, but we'll just get through uh, the admin before we get stuck into that. Um, for the 23-24 season, the FYP podcast is sponsored by our friends at Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised Palace fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream... Get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Green King Sport have just recently launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know all about that. You'll also be helping out the FYP podcast. We'll include a link in the show notes. We'd also like to thank our patrons, whose continued support is much appreciated. If you're not currently a patron and would like to support us and receive, among other things, access to post-match podcasts with the likes of Adam Sells and the Athletics' Don Fifield, with ad-free versions of all FYP podcasts, please visit patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Right, let's get stuck well, into Sunday's victory. Before we, do, before we do, can I just say that that proves something we've been saying to JD for about 480 episodes, <laughs> that it, it is possible to read a short document without... <laughs> Without having to run up and three goes at it. So well done. That's very oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the, the magic behind the scenes here. So, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, as we've mentioned, it was a hot one in SE25. And, and after a relatively tepid first half, the second half proved, uh, provided the heat to match the weather. An exhilarating second half with Palace scoring some quite lovely goals and outscoring Wolves three goals to two. Kevin, your thoughts on the performance and I guess particularly the second half if you want to bypass the first half. I'm not entirely sure I would use the word exhilarating about the second half, except in contrast to the first. <laughs> trying half. Trying to big it up, trying to trying to big it. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's it, all it, it's all relative, baby. It, it was it was encouraging that the second half was it was it was very encouraging and put it in context with the second half of the Plymouth game as well. Hmm. As I, I think that really does, you know, we, people know I was ambivalent about Roy coming back, but I think this those two halves do indicate that this is Roy Mark II, because I think the Plymouth game we probably would have gone on to lose that 2-0. And I think the most we could have hoped for with old-time Roy was was 0-0 on, on Sunday. But both games, he saw what had to be done. He saw that we had to be more positive, And he changed the way we played a little bit. He pushed us further up. So the second half, I've, I was really encouraged in particular by some of the, the work that Mateta and Edouard did together, um, and with Eze as well. But that first half was was worryingly poor. I mean, if, if Wolves had been a better team, certainly in the in the last third, we would have been in big trouble at half-time. We just didn't seem to know what sort of football we were trying to play. The keeper didn't seem to know whether we were trying to keep it at the back or go it long. And whatever we tried didn't work. We couldn't keep it at the back. Edward couldn't keep it if they went long. We The, the two central midfield players were, were struggling to win tackles. And when they did, the, the passing forward wasn't good. There were two moments as well that summed it up, and they both came from IU, unfortunately. So I thought he was one of the brighter prospects in the in the first half. Of the the first one was his lack of finish from winning the ball high up, which is virtually the only time we did it. And the second one was a, a really good bit of play with with Anderson, who's obviously believing his own publicity since the Brentford game, who brilliantly stepped forward from defence, intercepted the ball in the middle, continued his run, played a one-two with with Ayu and went into loads of space and Ayu's through ball just went about 150 miles instant. <laughs> but so yeah, it was worrying. It's, it's, it, it, it was worrying. But and it, that second half, I thought we 
he clearly Roy had decided this was a game we could win and he knew how we were going to do it. So I thought there were some great signs in the, the second half. And it was really good as well to see Tyreek uh, encouraged to put... The, uh, one of the frustrating things in the first half was the amount of times that Mitchell got the ball in decent crossing situations and didn't cross it. And, and, and for the goal, he almost had no choice but to cross it because his first touch was so poor, <laughs> it, it bounced off him. And, and the only way he could get to it was by reaching out for a cross. But after that, he seemed to he seemed to realise that with the added presence of Mateta, getting those crosses in from there was great. So, yeah, encouraging second half, really encouraging. Three very well-deserved points. And it's really nice to have an international break to look at the league table, to above Man United, above Chelsea, above Newcastle. I think you'd, you'd take that at this stage of the season. We'll, um, we'll come on to our reflections about the first four games of the season a little bit later on. But um, just to, in reference to Tyreek Mitchell, there, and I was going to mention this a little bit later, but Tyreek's next Premier League appearance will be his 100th for the club. Already? Um, already. Um, wow. Yes, Sunday was his 99th Premier League appearance for Palace. And um, when he makes his next appearance, should that be uh, the uh, away match to Aston Villa on the 16th, he'd become the 18th Palace player to have played uh, 100 Premier League matches. Obviously, taking into note that football existed before the Premier League, but given yeah, that's yeah. the metric we go by, still quite the achievement, Kevin, would you say, for, for a player of that age and who entered the team the way he did? How old is he now? Is he... He's 24. Is he 24 already? OK, well, 24. still, it's still... I, I mean, he hasn't had a lot of competition at, at left-back, which is, I'm sure is something we'll talk about in the transfer window talk, but mm-hmm. you, you don't get to play 100 almost consecutive league games in the Premier League without being a really good player. And, and again, I think we spoke about this the last time I'm on when we were talking about players who were impressing us and players who were putting forward. We tend to overlook Mitchell because we get seven and eight out of ten from him every week. We sort of take it for granted. So I'm amazed that it's 100 games already. Uh, I was quite surprised by that. I, I, I wondered where he was on the list. I thought I'd have a look and it just happens to be he's literally on the cusp you, um, of that do, achievement. Do you, do you get a telegram from James Daly to mark that? <laughs> <laughs> what the former youth product or the esteemed host of this podcast? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe, I'm sure we'll talk Odson Edward throughout this uh, episode because of his two goals. But how pleasing was it to see the two goals he scored highlight both the technical ability that he has, the way he sat the defender down for his second goal, but perhaps more pleasingly was the striker's instinct that he showed for the the first goal, which kind of mirrored the finish that he showed at Bramall Lane on the first day of the season. How pleased were you with his overall performance on Sunday? Maybe taking into Kevin's point that his first half. Maybe it's flat to deceive a little. Yes, I think so. In that game, in the context of the the few days prior and transfer deadline day, I think knives were sharpened, ready for a uh, a performance that didn't wasn't mm. showing much creativity. And I, I think it, we could have seen a, a real cool turn of the crowd. Um, and the first half very much looked like that was going to be the case. And I don't think Edward got the ball as much as he would have liked. I think Edward at his best, usually, you know, he'll be happy to take the ball from deep and try and run, maybe drift off wide, but finds himself just taking that touch too many. When when the opportunity to shoot is there, he's been a little bit hesitant the longer the kind of patchy form has gone on. Mm. What I liked about that second half was that he, I mean, maybe it's confirmation bias, but with the second goal, it's more. It looked more like composure rather than uh, uh, hesitancy. Like you know, he waited for the opportunity in the opening to go, letting defenders lunge across him. And um, the other goal. I, I mean, I'm sensing a beginning to notice a pattern. Certainly this season, I think he scored all three of his. The first three of his four goals this season have all been inside the six yard box mm. from a low 
a low in swinging cross, which we're not a team that's been set up for low in swinging crosses for probably a decade. And that's, you know, it's not a slight against Zaha's and Baladzi's, but they've been instructed to cut inside, maybe have a go themselves and create more havoc in field. And actually almost like the necessity of being a bit more basic with our approach has meant that someone who like Edward, who is probably more of a penalty box, a fox in a box, quote unquote, that uh, then he's been allowed to demonstrate with us. He's actually picking off chances and getting being in the right areas and seems to be getting service that suits him, if not us long term. I, I think what's really interesting, particularly with his second goal and Eze's, of course, is that that change in the second half on, was it an hour, 65? It may have even been later, certainly at 1-1, where Schlupp is replaced with Mateta. It was fluid, but it, it looked a lot, a little bit more like Roy's 4-4-2 of the first spell towards the end, where Eze's a little bit wider, but is allowed to do what he wants. And you've got two very strong central midfielders. This time it's um, Decore and Lerma rather than a Kiate and, and Lucas. Eh? But then... Mateta and Edouard together up front is something we've not really tried in a great deal. I guess because there's no cover beyond that. Starting with them both would mean that there's no one to bring there's on for no. legs. We'll, we'll, but, we'll come uh, on. We'll come the, on to JP because we've had, as you can imagine, whenever he does anything yeah. great or anything bad, we get tons of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can, can I just say? I, I think Joe, you're right in a way to, to describe that goal, the first goal, as as more basic. But I think it was on match day two that they described it as a proper centre forwards goal. Yeah. And the fact that football, since Man City uh, had Guardiola, has become more possession-based in, in English football doesn't necessarily mean that the older-fashioned ways aren't every effective. bit as effective. Getting the ball forward quickly, getting you know isolating fullbacks, getting those crosses in. Especially when it seems to me that, that Mateta, when we talk about him, he, he seems to be much happier when the ball's put in front of him outside the box. Hmm. Whereas Edward strikes me as a proper old-fashioned Centre forward type, as he was more or less at Celtic when he was scoring all the goals. That's that's where he has said he wants to play. So I thought that was a really good illustration of of what he can do when he's given the sort of. Cert. I mean, again, how many times do we say this post Benteke? If Benteke was watching those highlights on his phone, he must be thinking to himself, "What the? How the?" Went not once in not once in my time here did I ever get a ball put in like that. Tyreek, right. Tyreek's left footed. What a couple of <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, A question from Jednak's beard: Is it realistic to expect a ten goal season from from Edward? Given that he's forty percent Jednak's beard, I, I'd suggest uh, we, we could be on for that. I, I think three I goals think, in. Sorry, go on. I, I, I think. It, do you know that all this talk about we have to buy a twenty goal a season striker? Everybody wants a 20-goal-a-season striker. I, I don't think there'll be more than four clubs this season that has a 20-goal-a-season striker. I think we should. everybody should be more realistic now. You should be looking for 10, 15 goals from your main striker, but looking for them to do more work in bringing other people in and, and assist. I think if Edouard starts every game, and I, I agree with Joe, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing Edouard start where Schlupp is and, and Mateta starting up front. So I think Mateta's better at holding the ball up and better at winning the flicks than... Than Edward is. I know that compromises Schlupp's defensive work on on that side, but I I, I can see a situation where the two of them play. Because I thought, I certainly thought in the box in that second half, they, some of the stuff they did together was brilliant. Hold that thought, Kevin. We'll come on to the JP in just a moment. But the um, the strike rate Odson has started the season with would see him in the season with twenty eight league goals. So wow. we might have a twenty eight league goal striker. Wow. He's, you'd expect him to drop off, it, yeah. but 
still, the 10 goals is certainly achievable. And, and I think we can all be, if injuries stay away, and, and he does have a relatively decent fitness record, I'd hope that 10 goals is certainly uh, within reach for, for Odson. I think the key thing with Odson, is, as you both kind of alluded to already, a happy Odson is a, is a wonderful Odson. I think, mm. you know, that, that composure that you showed, Joe, that you referenced, it didn't look like he was hesitant. It looked like he was composed. Whereas when the confidence isn't there, he's maybe looking more hesitant to, to fans. So it's definitely pleasing to see it. Kevin, we've, we've alluded to him already, but talk to me about John Philippe Mateta. Where's your head at with him? And, and have you ever seen a Palace player, Kevin, cause the chaos that JP seems to when he comes on, either from the start, but typically when he comes on with 15, 20 minutes to go? I, do you know what's really interesting, again, on Match of the Day 2, when I think it was Jermaine Genus who talked about his knockdown for Eze, which hit him on the back, essentially. Uh, and Jermaine Genus go, he definitely meant that. If he definitely meant that, he's a better player than I give him credit for, in the same way that his, his goal against Leicester in Roy's first game, which he completely miscontrolled, managed to turn himself around and hit it properly. But there is something about him. There is... I, I just think... It's a cliche to, to say that he doesn't know. It's almost like Roy says to him, just go in there and throw your your weight about and, and see what happens. But it's clear that back heel touch was was, was mm-hmm. sublime. I, I just we we have to sort out this business of not scoring in the first half. Right? So whether Mateto changes out, I don't know. But he is more of an old fashioned centre forward in that if you want the ball held up from kicking long, he's more likely to do it than than Edward. I think. He does, whether he means it or not, get these knockdowns and and flicks. Um, I, I, I just think there's more to him. I just thought it was really interesting before the Plymouth game when we were all perfectly happy. I would, have, I can't drive, but I would have learned to drive to take him to Gatwick myself. <laughs> Personally, we would have. And I think we all felt that we there were talk. Hundred percent. There was talk of getting eight million, nine million for him, and I think we all thought cash in, let him go. He then had that really good performance against Plymouth when suddenly, in the way football fans are, we all went, well, he's this new kid we've got in. He's a crack, apparently. Um, I, I think he's somewhere in the... I, I don't think he's ever been as bad as we thought he was. I don't think he's the saviour, but I, I think he's a. I think there's a player a player in there. And the only issue... Because I think Edward will be... If, if Edward starts every week, he's going to be a much better player, obviously. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that I would like to see them both play together, I don't think Edward and Mateta can start every week. So there's always going to be a confidence issue with them. There's always going to be one of them's sulking or starting from from scratch. But I do think the three of them and Eze as well. Some there's like a little 15 minute spell in that, in that second half after we got the second goal. We thought we could get three or four here because yeah. Wolves Wolves basically retreated to the edge of their box. And they were working some in tight spaces. They were working some really good, some really good options. So that that's what I was most encouraged about. I have to say. Can, can we come on to Ezra as well in a minute? I, we'll I, come on to Eze. We'll, um, I, I, I yeah, like because we'll... I don't do this as often as I can. Now. I have to cram in <laughs> six months worth of, of FYPs. So yeah. Can I just ask, put a couple of lists of questions, and then you can wax lyrical about Ebs as, yeah. as much as you want to, you can. But the uh, the questions that we've had about Mateta. Um, are, are, are quite lovely, really. I think one point I would make about Mateta, um, and we had this conversation before the game, is are there many Palace players in the history of the club that have scored a hat-trick in the previous game, yet fans aren't that bothered that they're not starting the following match? It's, <laughs> it, it, nobody was really calling for him to start, despite having scored a hat-trick, but you know, he clearly um, was very confident going in Sunday and showed his impact. But um, Palace Nomad, I need Mateta to be the answer, because boom, 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 Chant is one of the best. And I, I think... 
it is a very good one, Joe, isn't it? It, it, it probably gets going. And where I am in the lower Holmesdale, it, it, it gets everyone going, that one. What really caught me on Sunday was how much he enjoyed it also. So I think that he, it was, he was welcomed to reception of that song on a arrival to the pitch, but that we, I remember we'd won a corner and while the, while as Ebbs is going to take the corner, Mateta's clapping along to the home, still clapping along. He's like, you're in the game, John Philippe. Like, you know, pay attention. John and, Philippe. And then, uh, when the, <laughs> and then when the third, our third goal goes in, his kind of reaction and response, his celebration, I think Palace have actually clipped it on the official channels now. He's having a whale of a time, regard, like, you know, separate from uh, Edward. It's not a selfish reaction, but it's just kind of, oh, what fun. He's kind of waving his arms like, this is great. I forgot that football can be fun. I've had such a torrid time for X amount of, you know, months. Mm. But, you know, I've had a really great week and you, you could really see he was enjoying his football. And I think... The fans pick up on that as well, particularly with the as, as well as he contributed as well. Yeah, I think that's important. The fact that he's contributing is probably the key. We can kind of get away with that most competition winner vibe that he sometimes displays when he's actually it, it, providing two assists in fifteen minutes. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Well, you've, you've actually described him. You've described him perfectly there because he sometimes he plays like he's on the pitch at the beer festival, and he's, <laughs> and he's come out of the stands. To join in, and he's just really pleased to be on any sort of pitch playing with any grown-ups in a, in an actual kit. But I think you do. Pick, I mean, the fact he scored that brilliant goal against Brighton, he scored against Millwall, so he's already got a sort of cult status. And I think oh, I, we, all, I, we all want him. We all want him to be to be brilliant. And like you say, there is a lot in that when when you don't support a team like Man City or Arsenal who are competing for every trophy, you you kind of enjoy these things more. And so you enjoy the John Philippe Matetas of the world more than the Arsenal or Man City fans would, because every player they've got is a glorious cog in a in a slick machine. Whereas with us, we we love the renegades. We love the players who come on and cause chaos. In the same way that Yannick, you know, Yannick Balassi, Ian Wright is a classic example. Ian Wright came to us uncoached and didn't know that he shouldn't be trying thirty-five yard half volleys. You know, so we but we love that it fits in with our kind of rough and ready image of ourselves sometimes, I, but he, I, does, he does look like there's a player there. And I, I agree. In terms of cult status, Kevin, I, I think he's probably there already. I think he yeah, scored some yeah. really important goals against opposition that you'd love him to score against, the Brighton game, the Mill game. And he's also got a Palace hat-trick, and they don't happen that often. Uh, I, I think, for me, he's, he's probably in that that group of, of uh, cult heroes. Um, and, and I know JD wants to do an episode about cult heroes because it's... It's very subjective, but for me, he's he's probably there. I mean, the corner flag thing on its own is, yes. is, is wonderful. Yeah. Um, look, I, got, I was going to ask a very uh, comparatively dull question about the conceding of goals from crosses, but actually, let's keep the positivity flowing. Kevin, I'm going to indulge you, let you talk about Eberichez, and, and you can go with whatever you want to on this one. Well, I, I thought his dead ball taking's got to improve. Mm-hmm. I mean, the free kick was great, but in the first half, we had a succession of corners and free kicks out wide that were all aimless. But I, I, what, I particularly want, what I particularly want to talk about is there were so many Palace fans uh, at half-time and at the end of the game and on social media afterwards saying that Eze goes down too easily. And including, I think including me, by the way. I'll hold my hands up. Uh, well, I, but I, I, just, I, I think it's the opposite. I've, I, IU goes down too easily. But Eze, I think, tries too hard to stay on his feet. And and I worry that Eze, already with referees, 
is starting to get the sort of reputation that he's looking for. There was there were two in a row in the first half, right almost in front of us in, in the half away. One was that number seven who was niggling him all afternoon, who, who who really got in behind him. And as they stayed up, but then turned to the ref, and the ref just did that get up gesture. And then there was another one where the fullback planted both hands in the small of, of, of Eze's back. Eze tried so hard to stay up uh, and then went down. And the referee went to him and clearly accused him of, of plants. Whereas, whereas Ayu, who referees clearly think, oh, he's a solid centre-back, he wouldn't go down unless he was hurt. Ayu goes down at the drop of a hat and buys yeah, the free kicks. <laughs> Eze, Eze could do it, but Eze's almost too honest. Eze wants to stay up, keep the ball and, and keep going. And sometimes there's one in the first half where I'm, I'm amazed the referee didn't bring it back for a yellow card on the guy who tackled it. Because Eze did ride the tackle this time and did stay up. And because the other guy's gone to the ground, Eze's got that space. But I, I thought Eze was the, the the brightest light in the first half in, in the fact that he was trying to create something out of nothing. He was trying to come back and get the ball. He was trying to come back to carry the ball. And I thought it was harsh for people to have a go at him for, for going down too easily. So I, I didn't think he was doing it. it. It does worry me that he might, that refs might see him as another. Because so, Ayu gets fouls at Eze simply. Ayu's brilliant at it. And it's, you know, other other fans were booing Ayu all the way through. The Wolves fans were booing him all the way through for getting free kicks. Because when other players do it, it's cheating. When we do it, it's game management. We all know that. It's the same with time wasting. Same with every fan group, yeah. Yeah, of course it is. But I, I think Eze's a victim of his own his own bravery sometimes. I, 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 thought, I, thought Eze, I thought he looked much happier when Mateta came on because it gave him a second option looking forward, I thought. Yeah. It, gave them, it gave them a triangle to be part of rather than just constantly trying to find... Uh, um, uh, Edward, you know, or trying to look out wide and, and then the ball come, not coming back into him. Yeah, it, it's interesting you raised the point about the uh, the lack of decision going his way from, from referees. A few instances at Brentford the week before um, yeah. with, uh, I, think, I can't remember who the referee was that game, but different ref- so two referees have had an approach with Ebbs that, I don't know, looks slightly peculiar. I didn't think the penalty was a penalty. I, I saw that back and I didn't think it was a penalty. But Kevin, you're right to highlight the ones. It's more the middling fouls, aren't they? In the middle of the pitch yeah. that you think that's a foul. That is a foul. And right. to the extent where Wolves players seem to almost be stopping. I'm going to disagree with you on the penalty as well. Oh, go, uh, from, 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 where we, from where we sit in the half away, it's virtually impossible to see what's going on properly on the other side of the pitch. But having said that, that was 110% penalty. Hmm. I knew that in the ground, I could see that in the ground. And also, the, the, if, if the ref had given that, there's no way VAR would have overturned it. That's, That's true. That is fair. Because when we saw that at half time, the first angle, you think, oh, no, actually, no, we need the second angle. He clearly catches him, catches him on the top of the foot. And it's quite a prolonged contact as well. And you can see as his foot go backwards and he goes over. That again, you would have got that penalty. Yeah. But it, I, I think referees are referees are already thinking uh, lights are hard. They're thinking as he's going to try and get in the box, he's going to try and go down. And that, and I, 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 yeah, I've got friends of mine who are referees who tweet me to say that's not the case. I think it, I think it is the case. I think he's like you said, the Brent game in this game, he's being refereed differently almost to how he was last season. I think I, that's that's a fair comment, and I think your point about if it had been awarded, there's no way the VAR would have uh, overturned it. I think is is definitely right. I, I just felt that the angle of Lopez's body at the moment where the impact was, I, I felt there was an element of him trying to buy it. But, hey, we're going to find out every week at 8.30 on a Wednesday when Howard Webb starts his <laughs> new TV programme. So we'll see all about that. Which, uh, oh, yeah. I can't wait for more 
more football uh, discourse. Joe, anything to add on on, on Ebbs on Sunday in, in terms of referee decisions or, or his wider performance? I had a I had a sort of big one eighty on uh, yesterday, looking at the penalty again in kind of the let's say sober light of day. I don't know, how, but uh, I I think the the things we one of the descriptors we have for him on the ball is that he glides. It's almost like it's not a run. It's a this floating kind of sort of almost visual. And I think that doesn't help him when he gets fouled because I think it's quite a slow descent. Whether he, he, like, mm. you're Andy Johnson's of this world, even a Wilfs, it's a big collision and it's even a little bit of contact. They are flying and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it seems a little bit more obvious. Where I think this, the way he goes past players at kind of a walking speed, it almost looks like sometimes. He doesn't break a, seem to break a sweat ebbs. And I think that might not lend itself to very clear, obvious fouls. Because when there's contact, I think he's probably f- going down at that same rate. And cause, because I also didn't think that was a penalty in real time, it almost, from where I was, looked like he was on his way down by the time the contact was made. But actually, he's had his foot trod on. Really? Yeah. Like, you know, it's the, even if it's done at the rate that Ebbs runs past players, he still had his foot trod on. And there was a couple of times, there was a one I kind of winced from the away end at Brentford, but there were certainly other instances where I, but felt he was being hard done by by the referee. So it's curious to see how that evolves over the season. At least as we've indicated, we do have other players. I think I think IU and Ebbs are up right up there for sort of the league's highest fouls against. Yeah. Well, one thing we've always been quite good for actually, we've got various players on the pitch who are quite happy to get a kick and went you know help take us up the pitch. Um, I hear Jordan and I used doing uh, weekly sessions with the under nines and under tens at the moment. So I'm kind of going. Guys, we'll bring part one to an end there. I think just on the end bit, if, if anyone did think it was a penalty, it was Everich Eze who picked the ball up when the VAR review was going on <laughs> to actually indicate, yes, yeah, penalty referee, go and do it. So for as, long, for, as, for, for, as, for as long as they looked at that, I thought, yeah. oh, surely they were going to make the referee that, look at this monitor. That, is, that yeah, surprised me when they didn't. It was it was nearly ninety seconds of uh, yeah. of the game being paused to look at a penalty that hadn't been given. It, it was a uh, an extended period of time that clearly didn't warrant it given the eventual decision. But anyway, thank you guys. Part one um, over now. The second part we'll we'll talk more about those players that we've mentioned already and and um, come to some listeners' questions. So um, join us after the break. Two of this week's FYP podcast. Hey. Sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Okay, so it's time for listeners' questions, and we've had plenty in this week. Um, we often do after a win, so uh, thank you for sending them in. Um, we, we were overtly positive in the first half and uh, didn't really talk about the goals we conceded, but just we will start the second part on a bit of a negative because if anybody did get some criticism on Sunday, despite the Palace win, it was Jeffrey Schlupp. A couple of questions regarding Jeff. Uh, the Cafe E Petufo account, uh, is it time to move on from Schluppy? Um, and uh, at 88 Bertie um, indicates that Schlupp was a passenger against Wolves. So is the solution to, um, until we have Elise back, uh, play the way that you guys have indicated in the first half, that 
Mateta starts and uh, Edouard plays where Ebbs is and Ebbs drops to the left. So I guess, uh, firstly, Joe, your thoughts on, on Schluppi's performance on, on Sunday. Um, and then maybe we'll expand the chat to the, the solution that we kind of talked about previously. I don't think he was very effective on Sunday, but then I don't, I think he's playing where he, or is certainly where he's been starting this season. It's a totally out of necessity. I don't think, I don't think there's anybody that would believe that's his strongest position at Palace. I don't think Roy would see that, see it that way either. I think you've got a lot of, with, with, with the wide players that we have missing, you, we've got people being asked to muck in. Some are more, way more effective at it than others. Jordan, I, I'd say is even flourishing as the player of the month for Wards indicates i i think jeff's really struggled with that but being fast and left-footed it's kind of the best we can do there for now i think beyond that with everyone back and fit i still think he's as good a kind of happy content squad player as you can get without spending a great deal of money I, i still think as someone on the bench to bring on in games that seems to be when he makes his best work uh and you know the utility man that he can be, you know, some, particularly with Tyreek Mitchell not having much competition, no competition. Um, on the occasions where he is missing, if it's not a right back filling in on the left, it may have to be a Jeffrey or if not, Redevald. So I, I think he's not someone I'm particularly disappointed with at the moment. I, I just don't expect him to be delivering at the where he's being asked to play. So I'm perhaps being a bit generous because of almost expecting very little. Yeah. Um, But long-term, I I don't think that should be something we'd be looking to highlight as in getting him out the door or anything. Kevin, we we previously talked or referred to Jeffrey Stupp as the the best 12th man in the Premier League and that he's so adept at, at filling in. But it's this kind of notion that he's got the shirt at the time being, which I guess is causing some frustration. Where are you at with Jeffrey Stupp? I, I think he's become the, the scapegoat du jour at the moment. He, 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 I think unfairly he was getting the blame from most people at half-time when no one deserved any credit. I, part of his problem, we, we've had this conversation so many times, part of his problem was as a young player, he was he was kind of a wing-back before teams were really using wing-backs. He's not, he's not a natural left-back. He's not a natural left-winger. It, it's sometimes difficult. He's the sort of player that, you expect managers to defend more because it's sometimes hard for us ordinary fans to see what his job is in the team and and how well he's doing it. If you see what I mean, it's like with Ayu, it's very obvious to see that Ayu is 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 protecting Wardy as much as he is he's trying to get forward. With Sluppy, it's hard to see that. I've always thought Sluppy's best work, and I agree 100% with Joe here, is a sort of impact, impact sub, but also an impact sub when you're 2-0 up and you want to get four goals. Because the game away when he when he when he comes on because sometimes he can be so strong down the left hand side and driving in cutting into the into the box but i i just feel he suffers from not being a specialist in in any position i I'd, I'd be reluctant to see him go because i think he's been a very loyal servant but i i think that there does come a time when it, it's part of a wider debate about where we are in terms of ambition and about where we are in terms of where we expect to finish each season and you would you would hope that there there are better players. I almost feel disloyal for saying it because he's not done anything wrong for us. Really, he's, he, there are players that deserve less credit than he's had in the past. But you you, you do think, come on, lads, we've been in this division. We're coming into our eleventh season now. We we should have better players in every position 
than we started with on 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 Sunday, basically. Yeah, and I'm afraid Wardy's part of that conversation as well because again, Wardy doesn't let us down. But in the transfer window, we were all looking for a younger right back to come in. It, it's at least at, at cover, and you forget about Clive. But you know, there's going to come a time when we have to replace these players. And the fact is that other clubs are less sentimental about doing doing that replacement than we are. Most other Premier League clubs would have replaced Wardy and Sloppy a long time ago, uh, and we would have said goodbye to them, you know, with a cheery wave and hopefully a testimonial. But yeah, they're not players that are ever going to let us down, but there's, they're still not players that you would have expected us to see still be playing in the, side. In, in the Premier League, especially when there's so much talk coming from within the club of uh, of, of how we have to push on and how we have to reduce the the, 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 side, the age of the squad, which we which we have been doing. But in Ward and Sloppy, we're, we're talking about probably, along with Ayu, the oldest players in the in the team on on Sunday, so yeah, we've got young players in in other situations. So, I think sometimes you look at the centre backs and you go, "Hang on, we've really upgraded there." You look at the centre midfielders, you go, "We've really upgraded there." Arguably, goalkeeper, but there are positions where we consistently fail to upgrade. Uh, you know, and until Elise come back, I mean, he's he's, per- he's perfectly happy. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with him being there till Elise comes back, mm. which I think is. I, I don't think Roy will try the. The Edward out left option. I think Roy sees one. But it was interesting that Roy picked out in his interview post match that he was very happy with the points, but there were things to look at, including conceding two goals. But he, he didn't name names, but the conceding, I mean, that was a Wolves team that didn't look like they had goals in them. No. And conceding two soft goals like that from crosses was was a slight a slight worry at, at premier league level they are soft goals aren't they absolutely absolutely they are you know a free header from a set piece and you know it's 3-1 and with 60 seconds to go I've had a long time but you want that cross blocked and you want your your center backs picking it's a soft goal to and and you could see as the the handshakes were being had after the full time whistle you could see that the smile that the roy might have had had, had somewhat disappeared uh, he, uh, it, you know he wasn't particularly happy in his post match comments and and I'm sure he's gone into the international break thinking more about that than the three goals that led to the three points. Well, also from memory, I think both centre backs were facing the wrong way when that second cross came in. It, uh, it did look very disorganised. Yeah, and and the the problem is we've got for the first time ever we've got two really good footballing centre backs, but every now and again Rose Ed is an option, and a couple of times in the first half, and I was really impressed with Anderson because he just went for the clearing option, but. Some it, it takes to get a bit used to as a Palace fan to have two footballing centre backs, and every now every now and again you kind of yearn for your, your a Jim Cannon or even a Razor Ruddock to take everything out and just clear the ball. But it it, it it's just again it comes back to that issue where we we have upgraded. They are better centre backs than we've had before, so you expect more from them than, than conceding those. Yeah, that those that goals, did, really. that that did strike me as a fairly basic goal to come on. Uh, to, sorry to concede, um, but hey, we we got the three points. So I guess we. Uh, I we'll hope that that's worked on. Joe, you any feedback on that one? Uh, but that was there. Wolves' second goal. Uh, I think so. Wolves brought on the substitute. Uh, I want to say Kalasic. Maybe I've yeah, yeah. possibly pronounced yeah. that wrong. Who was probably the tallest player on the pitch? And it was almost as if I think they were both distracted by him and were expecting yeah, 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 the yeah. cross to go to him. And it was actually Cunha comes in and and gets in there ahead of them. And yeah, they just just totally switched off on everyone else that's in the box 
trying to chase the goal. I think uh, Palace, Palace, Palace fans who were there at Wembley in 1996 call that the Kalich syndrome, where <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a giant goalkeeper comes on and, yeah. and you forget about Steve Clarence. But, he's, but he's, he, he scored against Everton, Everton yes. And it, it was the same thing with Everton centre-backs again, for some reason, were distracted by the smaller forwards and totally ignored <laughs> ignored him. So that's the sort of goal. I remember when Everton conceded that goal, A, first of all, thinking, A, ha, 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 that's hilarious. Yes. Uh, but B, thinking that's the sort of goal, yeah, that's a relegation goal to concede, oh, yeah. that, especially that late in the game as well. I mean, and the fact is that we were 3-1 up, so it, it kind of glosses that over a little bit. And I, I think as well, we should say, for all the moaning about Thursday, we did deserve to win that game. In the end, against um, and what's been really encouraging is that the the two teams we've played that you would identify before the season started as being worse than us, Sheffield United and Wolves, we have beaten. Yes, the team you'd identify as being a similar level to us, Brentford, we've got a really decent point from, and we've narrowly lost to a team that you'd identify as a much better team than us. So I I, I think. There are some Palace fans who say we shouldn't be talking like that in our 11th Premier League season. But I think there have been seasons by when we, we would have dropped points to Sheffield United and we would have dropped points. And I think old school Roy, we might have dropped. Yeah, old school Roy, I'd have been much more nervous about that Sheffield United game than I was mm. uh, eventually. Because um, the only worry is that we didn't win that more comfortably than we than we actually did. And when, when you consider as well how, how well Sheffield United played against Man City for uh, quite some time, uh, length of the game yeah. that was actually a really good result so if, if we can keep beating teams that are below us it would be so nice to think that we're we're confident of being safe by January rather than confident of being safe by March or April well I think for anyone that is considering Roy just to be on a farewell tour this season I think the comments that he, he offered after the game indicate that he's still got a lot of fire in him we've seen that fire in him this this season I'm, I was very assured actually listening I listened to Interview on the way home, driving back down to the coast on on Sunday, and I, I smiled to myself, thinking that he's he's going to go into this international break while on the back of a you know a good afternoon and three points in the bag. But he sees there are things to work on, and and, and that's got to be pleasing. Also, I think it was the Athletic who said talked about Roy and the Carabao Cup. Where in his first stint at Palace, I, I think he would have been quite happy to lose that game. But I think the Athletic made a really interesting point in that Roy Hodgson probably knows that this is a team that will stay up. So he knows that his job isn't to keep us up. So why not try and win the Carabao? A bit more in the tank this little, year. Yeah, maybe. why not? Why not try and make a concerted effort to to win these tournaments? That'd be you know, we've been unlucky with the draw, but but yeah, you know, that that was a, a result. That Plymouth result, in, in a way, I was as pleased about as getting the three points at, against Wolves. To be perfectly honest, rewarded with a. I don't think the draw had been made when we recorded last week. Joe, no, no, it's no, re- yeah. <laughs> rewarded with an away trip to yeah. Old Trafford, but. But anyway, just to kind of finish off on the on the Jeffrey Schluck point, I just feel like we go on this roller coaster with him so regularly that we start with the acceptance that he has a role to play in the team. We then get annoyed that he's limited, and then there's a fury that he's not better than he is. And I just think yeah, we go yeah, around yeah. in we'll we'll probably have this conversation three or four times this season, and he yeah. will still play 30 Premier League matches for Palace. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, okay, moving on, and uh, maybe to a few faces that we've not yet seen this season. Uh, Desiree Lillian asks, uh, oh, when will France play and when will Elise return? Uh, quick update from the pod extra from uh, Robin Selzy and uh, whether there are rumours that France is due to have a scan before the Villa game. And if that all goes to plan, then we could well see him make his debut uh, at Villa Park. And if not Villa Park, then the following week at Craven Cottage. So, Kevin, we haven't talked to you about our Brazilian signing. How excited are you by our new number 11? Uh, I suspect I'm more excited about him than Roy Hodgson is. <laughs> I, I, th- I think. 
Say no more. <laughs> I, I, I think the idea of him starting at Villa or Fulham, I think his best chance of starting a game is for us to carry on in the Carabao Cup. Mm. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I, I don't think Roy displayed any great enthusiasm for that buy. He doesn't strike me as a Roy Hodgson sort of player. He strikes me as a Steve Parrish uh, waking up at one o'clock in the morning going, why, why haven't we got a Brazilian? Everyone else has got a Brazilian. No, I want a Brazilian. Do we know anyone in Brazil? Te- get Texter on the phone. Ask him if he knows anyone in Brazil. Just doesn't... I, it, it, I, I hope I'm wrong because clearly, you know, based on the same YouTube video that we've all seen, which has got some lovely music to it, which <laughs> instinctively makes you think he's a better player than he is, although a worrying number of those clips don't end up with him scoring, I... I, I think he's got Max Mayer written all over him, basically. Oh, I, wow. I, 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 just, I, I just can't see him. I can't see, unless he's a much better player. I, you know, you, you listen to, I can never remember, the, the, the South American expert on talk sport. Tim, who, Tim Vickery. You listen to Tim Vickery, who's not that glowing in his praise for him. You listen to other sports journalists. It doesn't strike me that he's better than Eze or better than Elise. doesn't strike me that he's the sort of player that Roy will want to put into the, the, the heat of, of a, a Premier League game, it, it just—it's just not a Roy Hodgson buy for me. To be perfectly honest, it's it, you know it's glamorous and it's exciting, and it gives us a chance to you know maybe come up with a new song and five-year plan, get to do a new pun in the title, which is great. But I—I oh, I, I presume Jim's already played that one, but he may well not. Have, so he's, no, he's you're, always, you're he's, writing material for him all the time. You know, no, he's had five-year plan. He went straight oh, for five-year okay. plan. So, but I. I I can't see him walking straight into the team. I really, I really can't. No, uh, I, I think that's fair. I think, um, I mean, I haven't, <laughs> haven't really thought about him in the realms of Max Meyer. I, I think more, uh, and this would be a good season for him, that we see maybe a season that mirrors Michael Elise's first season with Palace and that he's kind of drip-fed minutes and, and we see flashes. But yeah, I think you're right to to refer to Tim Vickery, a man who you know, knows his stuff and is is very on the on the ball with, with signings that have come. I remember listening to him about Moises Caicedo, before I think Brighton had even signed him and said this guy's going to be a very very good midfielder and he's going to cost someone else a lot of money one day and he's been proven very uh, very right on that one and he, I guess the way I'd describe his uh, summation of the France signing is speculate to accumulate in that if it works it works and yeah. if it doesn't you know you've you've taken a hit on on twenty million pounds or so but my my point about Mayer was more to do with the reputation he came with see he was he was apparently, I mean, a lot of this, you know, it was his agent who called him the, the, the German Messi, but he came to us as one of the most exciting young players in Europe. And every, everyone was saying, well, how, why, is it, why has he gone to Palace? And if we, it turns out there's a reason why he ended up at, at Palace. And it just strikes me that the circumstances of this signing are just, uh, are just similar. It, to me, it looks like it's a crowd-pleasing transfer that the manager won't be that interested in. And we would we'd, we'd probably talk about the window a bit later on. And there are two, there are players in there that are quite clearly Roy players, and he strikes me as somebody. Who, it, it, it may be that the new Roy did wake up one morning and and say to Ray, "Come on, let's let's throw let's throw the dice one last time. It's not our money. What can go wrong?" But it doesn't strike me that that's the case, to be honest. Ray Lewington Samba dancing. There you go. So that's, uh, that's one for you to take home. Joe, let's. Just uh, the idea of Ray Lewington meeting him at Biggin Hill. <laughs> End of the plane, there's this little bloke in his what, shorts. Moonlight, <laughs> moonlighting as a minicab driver or something as well. You wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> if anyone's moonlighting as an Uber driver at Palace, it's Ray Lewington. Let's, put it, let's be fair. I'd be delighted if I ordered an Uber and Ray Lewington. Anyway. Uh, Joe, let's, let's talk quickly about another man who's yet to play this season, but has obviously been the focus of a lot of attention during the summer. 
your thoughts on Michael Elise being added to that team? And if you could keep it family friendly, then we'd be grateful. But but where do you see him fitting into into what, uh, you know, was a a very attack-minded last 25 minutes? Where where could you see him fitting in? Well, firstly, I think given what Kevin said about the results that we've achieved so far this season with the essentially same forced 11 that we've had to play, we're achieving those results without, you know, and, and you're looking ahead and going those 50-50 games we've got coming up, the the Villas who might even, I, they've got a better squad than us, let's be honest now. Mm. We added a Michael Elise in there to sort of how solid we've looked, generally speaking. I think that's very encouraging because more of, if we can, if we're staying in games as we have done and we can now offer our best attacking players about still to come in, I think that's really exciting. I, I think, there was footage, I don't know how recent it was or or whether it was from today, but I saw on my phone earlier there's footage of Michael doing training outside. It still very much looked like indiv- he was on his own. It wasn't with the rest of the side. But given we've got an international break coming up, you know, maybe we will see him sooner rather than later. And I think that will give us a huge boost. I think what the team looks like with him in, as as it is now, I imagine... Elise goes back onto the right and you see IU on the left-hand side, which is, I believe, it how it was for the most part when Wilf was injured at the back end of last season under Roy. Um, I'd be surprised if they were swapped round, but I also wouldn't be mad at that um, just because IU's been so effective on that right-hand side as he has. And mm-hmm. I trust Elise to be quite confident cutting in Any- and doing whatever anywhere. on the other, anywhere, pretty much. Right back. journey on the Michael Elise news throughout the summer where, where were you at with um did you accept he was gone and then before the joy when everyone heard everything he was signing on before I mention that can, can we just say how how bizarre it is that Ayu is one of the undroppable players yeah uh and and we were like a mate of mine said on on uh Sunday halfway through the second half when we we're all chanting his name it's like if you'd put money on that two seasons ago the player cost us two million quid and whether it's down to, to Hodgson or whether it's down to Sisson, I don't know, but it's just a different animal. I, I, the Elise situation, I, I know it's my role on this pod to be the old grumpy one. And in this situation, sometimes I get a bit, I, I say, I don't want to be the old grumpy one. But in this situation, I'm perfectly happy to be the old Lean grumpy into one. it. Lean into it, Kevin. So Give I, it some. I, I actually found the, <laughs> the Elise announcement slightly embarrassing. Be perfectly honest. I mean, as a mate of mine said, why don't you just have a, get a video done, just announcing? Is I, I half expected them to say there's going to be an open top bus going down Thornton Heath High Street with just Elise on it, waving his contract in the air, and with Steve Parrish behind him holding up the other side of the. Contract. He'd be driving the bus. He'd be driving the bus. It, it, it's it's like, he's a brilliant player. And I'm really pleased he's staying at Palace. All the speculation beforehand from people who. Let's face it, none of us had the first fucking clue what was going on. <laughs> none of us had the first clue. about. for all the people that were talking about the insight they had, none of us knew what was going on. I'm really pleased, but we, we shouldn't be in a situation where we're celebrating Chelsea not nicking one of our players, basically. We should be going, of course he's not going to Chelsea. We should be saying, if you want, you can even brag about the fact we bullied him out of Reading. 
You can say, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we triggered this release course. We had eight million quid. So what about it? Yes, but we're a bigger club than that, and it's just. It it just seemed like, yeah, we got one over on Chelsea. It's like, no, we kept a player that you would always hope we would keep. So my, my big worry, and I think along with other Palace fans, was we, the club made so much fuss about that, that started to give you an idea that that might be the last thing we were making a fuss about in the transfer window. Right. Well, it's we'll come like, on to Rob Holding in a minute. But, uh... Well, I, I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah. But I, I, I'm absolutely delighted that Elise, I think... I think as soon as Elise is fully fit and integrated, I think he starts, simple as that. And I just think it's fascinating that we're, we're finding ways of fitting Elise into accommodate Ayu. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think Elise, I think Elise will give us a better balance. I, I think when Elise and Ayu are playing together, it will give us a better balance. And I, I think, again, Joe's absolutely right. In, in games against better teams and Wolves, someone like Elise can give you that moment that unlocks something you know can just and also i just miss him i just miss his lack of enthusiasm on the pitch i mean he's, uh, he's the anti-mateta it's like I, I, I just want to see mateta dancing in the corner flag while he slouches i want to see them putting sh- pockets in elise's shorts so he can just put them in <laughs> and, and walk away after he scored he's, a third he, he's goal still, yeah i was gonna say he'd still skin yeah. three players and put it of, in the of, corner, of, so. of course but yeah we but i mean he's a sort of player that Again, he's the sort of quality we should be attracting to the club, and I'm I'm highly delighted that we've kept. Highly delighted that we've we've kept yeah, him, yeah. and I would have been so upset if we'd gone to that. To that, I, I think there is an argument that we maybe lost out on, on Hudson Odoi because mm. because because Chelsea are clearly upset at Paris's threat to uh, to report them quite rightly. Tell so. mum to tell uh, mum, yeah, yeah, but it's I mean quite rightly so, and the, the yeah. press the, the press play their part in this as well. How many to this nonsense? Old Man City are considering thinking about a move for Elisa. Let's get started. And it's the same with Chelsea are considering. Chelsea would have probably happily taken Elisa in to stop us having him, but he wouldn't have progressed his career. That's what that's what people are missing about. In in order to talk about the money at Chelsea and the financial fair play rules at Chelsea, which they're being very canny about. People are missing the fact that a lot of really good players are going to have their, yes. their, their development stunted by going to Chelsea to not play football for two or three years. That's what that's what upsets me about Chelsea more than the financial situation. Yeah, I think so I, it, would, I, it would have been heartbreaking to lose him to Chelsea. Yeah, I, 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 just to kind of ram home that point, I think one of the biggest winners out of all of this is Michael Elise. Yeah, yeah, He's going to play 30 Premier League games this year when he comes back from injury. And, and you know, what happens next season, we'll dance the dance again, won't we, about, you know, what his but future... It, brings but it's, we're going to have him for at least another season and he will be a better player for that but it also highlights the 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 fact that a lot of people don't know that much about how football finance works despite the efforts of some sterling pods i was gonna say do you know so any podcasts like, where yeah, but, uh, so, yeah. but, but the whole the whole thing and i had to check this because i didn't know i had to check this with with kieran you know so many people assume that chelsea triggering the buyout clause meant he had to go mm-hmm. Uh, and and I wasn't entirely sure, but there's, 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 there are three parts to every transfer: the two clubs and the player. So it's, if the player didn't want to go to Chelsea, he, he wouldn't go to Chelsea. We were we were never going to be forced to get rid of him. And and everyone suddenly becomes an expert pub lawyer on football contracts and starts retroactively saying, "Well, this is what we should have done when we nicked him from 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 Reading." None of us knew, and it's just uh, and and again, Palace and have improved in so many areas, but they're not particularly good at communicating what's going on. So suddenly the news drops. You know, you, you've got a slightly bemused looking at Elise in a bucket hat and and Steve, no Parrish, and, and Steve Parrish looking just over the moon that he's managed to keep an employee. The Cheshire Cat. Yeah, he, he was just, the... <laughs> 
I just think we should do that. It's like if we're if somebody from HR decides not to go to another club, we should be celebrating that just as much, basically. With, the, with, the, same, with the same shush emoji with the at the same, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was, I think, and I think Everton fans now, Everton fans now bemoan that this, this person left the club, but they when when they signed all those players that they signed for tens of millions of pounds that never went anywhere, the star of the show was always Contract Dave, who was always the guy sat next to the new player. And when he left Manchester United. Everton fans were most upset about that than anyone. So maybe we need someone of that ilk. But I'm very excited for uh, for Michael Lise to get back. And I think, as you both alluded to, I think the most likely scenario will be Jordan Ayew still maintaining his place in the team, but maybe yeah, from the hand side and and uh, him coming in. Well, come on, let's let's um, talk about the, the transfer window as a whole then. So, Kevin, your thoughts on Palace's summer business, just to remind for all listeners, Jefferson Lerma, Matthias Franzer, Dean Henderson and Rob Holding all coming in. Um, while we saw some big names depart, Luca, Jimmy Mack, who we knew the end of last season with departing, and then, of course, news about Wilf. So your quick thoughts, Kevin, on, on the way. I know transfer chat isn't your bag, really, but wh- where are you I, at with, with the business that we've we've completed over the small window? I thought it was really interesting. We signed Lerma almost on the day that the transfer window opened, before Roy had been confirmed as manager. And you, my initial thoughts were slightly uncharitable on Lerma, that he's a this is a typical Roy buy, but it, it kind of, I'm not necessarily sure it was, but I think Lerman was a fantastic bit of business. Mm. He, he's a really good player. He's uh, he's a much better player than than I gave him credit for just by watching him on Match the Day highlights in a struggling team. Also, he didn't cost us anything. Also, he took us. We took him away from a team that you'd expect to be in and around us in that sort of twelfth to fifteenth. You know, if you're being pessimistic. Mm. So I think he, I think that was a brilliant piece of business. And it gave me a lot of hope for the transfer window to come. I actually, I actually genuinely think Holdings a really good bit of business. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only 26, 27. 27, Rubens cost an initial £1 million. Pounds. Uh, uh, established Premier League player. He's not particularly quick, but he can cover, uh, probably left back, he can cover both centre-backs, he can play midfield. That's a classic Roy Hodgson, <laughs> a classic Roy Hodgson transfer target. And I, 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 I think that's a great, but I don't think see there's any downside to that. No, it's so a, to that signing at all. It's just that the, the problem is, and again, this is a big issue with the transfer window. We we all knew where we needed, or where we thought that we needed to strengthen. We all thought that we needed cover at left back. We needed cover at right back. In an ideal world, maybe a more creative midfield player as an option, and we needed this mythical twenty goal a season striker that we were never going to get, especially when it was looking like it was going to be Che Adams. Uh, but the the Ian Atcho one looked like it was nailed on for for three weeks to the extent that you're just thinking what's 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 happening and and you know, then it starts the rumor about Sidney Van Hoydonk starts to come along when you think I'd, that, I'd never but, heard of him before this rumors but, came no, no, but I, I, I just felt I just felt really upset for the people in the club shop who were thinking how are we going to put that name on the back of a shirt the queues are just going to be going on forever and then there was uh, talk about. Um, Etiquetique uh, uh, from PSG, yeah, yeah, all of which are rumours that have traction at any stage. And then I, I despise myself because I actually find myself going on to news now, or surreptitiously switching Sky on when I know it's all nonsense. But I, I, I think in a way I don't know whether it we simply couldn't get a, a striker that we had targeted, or whether Roy had said, as he sort of indicated, that he thought he saw enough. In, in Edwards and Mateta, that he didn't think there was anybody better 
out there. The Jumpalee Mateta, is that what you're saying? <laughs> and the, the, the trouble is with a club at our level is it's you've got to work really hard to get yeah. players like that to come to come here. It's like they're not going to West Ham. You know, it used to be that if you're in London, that gave you a thirty percent edge on 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 Everton, maybe or on <laughs> Southampton. That doesn't seem to to matter anymore. You've really got to persuade people to that there's. This is a club, a work in progress, a project that will get them to play in Europe. And exactly. Get, the the key word there is the project, isn't it? It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's what we can do for you while you're doing for uh, us. Uh, and, abso- and absolutely, yeah. Which is exactly how the whole Vieira thing was sold to us, wasn't it? As the project, yeah. basically. Yeah. So it, you, it's not just about offering players more money. And Steve Parrish once said on, on this pod that the chances are if you sign a right-back on deadline day... He's the fifth one you've got because you've had five. You've had, you're spinning five plates in the air, and you get the one that works. And sometimes that's the fifth choice, and it's the last. You know, it, the players that we target are not always the players that we end up with. So I, I don't think it was. I think it's one striker short of a really good transfer window. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Perfectly honest. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think it was as as um, cautious or, or conservative as a lot of Palace fans are thinking. It wasn't sexy, but I think we've got. A couple. I think we've strengthened the squad. To be perfectly honest, in in Lerma and Holding and Francis and Walker, the the Henderson one. I just don't. I, I had this conversation with so many people on Sunday. Who's number one? Mm-hmm. I I assume Roy was behind getting Henderson in, and that Henderson is going to be our number one keeper. I I think Arsenal will find out this season that having two really strong number one goalkeepers isn't necessarily a, a, a good. I I think. I think you need to know who your keeper is every week, and you, and your two centre backs and your two centre mids, and the rest of the team, you can you can slot in and out. But I I think you you've got a situation where two England goalkeepers, uh, one of them's going to be really upset. Uh, I I I thought Johnson was perfectly good enough. Um, I'm I'm not sure about the lad who covered him, but it's great in one instance. It's great that we've got two really good goalkeepers, but again, neither of them are known for their distribution. Because I think that's something that was really illustrated on Sunday that the, the playing out from the back thing is a work in progress for us. In that, the two centre backs look much more comfortable doing it than the two full backs. But I'd be interested. To, my, my guess is that Henderson will be number one goalkeeper for Roy. I, I I suspect, and Joe bring you in here, but I, I suspect Johnson will be the number one for oh, a little okay. bit longer. I would well, just okay, right. just because you don't want to, you know, yeah, piss, piss a player off. Um, and I think Henderson would come be pissed, in knowing he's going to be pissed off already. Well, whenever, yeah, but perhaps. So I mean, it's certainly through the door. Yeah. It's certainly a, although they are very good friends. So hopefully, that that goes some way to keep the uh, the, the discord between the two of them, uh, you know, relatively decent. But I, I guess the situation developed because we had the unexpected kind of kicking up a fuss from Vicente Guaita, who we we probably should know has, has left the club and, and we'll probably put on our file to say thank you to Vicente for four or five years. Very good service. And it's sad that it ended the way it's ended, but he's now left and joined. Uh, I found out Rafa Benitez is managing Celta Vigo. So he's off the yeah, play for yeah. Rafa Benitez. Um, and I, I don't know if the club even announced that he'd left the club, but, but it's clearly been a very, very difficult situation. But that, that chapter is over and, and Dean Henderson's come in. Joe, we talked about Dean Henderson last week. I think Kevin's exactly right to kind of describe the situation and it will need to be managed sensitively. But where, where are you at with the keepers? Are you expecting Sam Johnson, who, who Roy did go on the record pre-match and say he will be my number one? I, I just wonder whether that means for that Wolves game or whether the international break will give him a chance to maybe recalibrate his thoughts on that. I think Selzy has mentioned it a few times in the post-match pods that 
if you were to look at last season as an example, I think when Sam Johnston was signed, he was kind of the possibly the best keeper in the championship at that time on a free. It was looked as if that's the future of our goal. That's the future number one. And Guaita's has probably got one eye on going back to Spain. And yet the way it panned out was that certainly with once with Roy coming in, it, it was you, my keeper stays the regular starter and, and, you don't get dropped on form, you get dropped on an injury or suspension. And once there was an injury and Johnston came back, came in, it, that was it. It was now his to his to lose. And it's almost that it's kind of honor system almost. It was, I, don't, I don't know, just, but I don't know. I don't know what that must be like for goalkeepers, whether that offers more hope or just a kind of real pessimism as to, I can't train my way into a starting place. I, I do think it kicks kicks the can up the road with the goalkeeper situation, but it's just a really surprising way of doing so. I thought once it was clear that Guaita wanted to leave immediately, which probably wasn't foreseen at this point yet um, by the club. I didn't then expect us to spend so much money Mm. on that situation with the window of time we had to do it. I guess a player of Henderson's ability being available means it's, potentially a too good a deal to turn down especially if it's someone that Roy is really into but it, yeah we are just going to have to revisit it I think in the summer when presumably Johnston says I, I don't I want I want to be playing thanks it's, I think quite it's, possibly it's, 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 a, it's a lot of money to pay for a reserve keeper and number two exactly and, I, and, I'm, and I'm guessing that that sort of transfer fee comes with quite a decent wage as well, so again, there's a lot of money to pay on top of that for a reserve keeper. Johnson coming in for nothing was it? That's the kind of the, the no-brainer. I think yeah. he suddenly becomes available, and we we're proactive. We go in and we get him and say, "What a fantastic second choice we yeah. have!" And he's been a. I mean, as a shot stopper, he's been really good. That save he made in the first half against from uh, the seven whose name I keep forgetting. Uh, Neto. Neto. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was was a really brilliant save because it took a deflection, but. I, I I think the international break is a perfect time for Roy to recalibrate it, and we it's it, it's like when they got a new dog on Blue Peter and they didn't tell you. And it's just <laughs> it's, it's, it's we'll suddenly come back for the international break. We go, hang on, who's that in goal? <laughs> yeah. It's no, it's Henderson. Oh, okay, poor old Sam. I, I, oh, my, I love I, that. I, I love can't that. See, I, I can't see any other option than him being the, the first choice keeper really because oh. it's Roy. I think it's Roy that wanted him in as well. So. Yeah, it's one we'll revisit. I, I do think, and Selzy's referenced it in the post-match pod, and again, you can join Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FIP podcast, but Selzy has described it as perhaps the second strongest goalkeeping stable in the Premier League, and he's probably not wrong in, in that we've got two England internationals to fight after, for number one. It's after, an incredibly strong place to, to be in. After, after, Arsenal, after Arsenal, Arsenal having Ramsdale and Raya, and, and if you look at the number, there are some very good and competent number twos across the Premier League, but yeah, yeah, yeah. both those guys could, could play at a you know, dare I say, a higher level than than, than where we currently occupy in, in the kind of Premier League. Well, I mean, Selzy would know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he knows goalkeepers. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll bring uh, questions in, and we we've had a slightly extended question section because there is no preview, so we're we're uh, indulging ourselves a little bit more with the uh, with the questions part. But final question: um, Mike Ward asks, "What has happened to Nathan Ferguson?" And and all I can say, Mike, is. Answers on a postcode, a postcode, postcard. I, I have absolutely no idea where Nathan Ferguson is with his recovery. We, we, he, Kevin, he may well be the answer to right back, and that's why the the lack of dealings uh, regarding that part of the pictures haven't occurred. But uh, Nathan Ferguson, I, I have no idea where he is with his recovery. I, I just think you, <clears throat> you have to put club 
loyalties aside and just say how sorry you feel for the yeah 100%. The, the young man i mean what really highly rated player you, you just worry whether it's another Connor Wickham situation there where the injury is so bad that every time he comes back, there's a, there's a hesitancy and he gets hurt again. But I, I think if he does ever come back and he does start, the first game he starts, he's going to get such a reception. But Can you imagine? It, it, it must be so hard for him to come. Is it two and a half years now that you come into a new club? Uh, you're, away from, you're away from home at that age. And... Basically, the only people you know at the club are the physios and the the, the tea ladies in the gym. It's, I've I feel so sorry for him because um, he were, again he was another one. It was a sort of opportunistic opportunistic move from us, and West Brom fans didn't like the way we yeah almost too good to uh, turn uh, down uh, exactly. And they, West Brom fans didn't like the way we acquired him cheaply through a tribunal. So yeah. that was a good move. But uh, you just think that after an injury of that length, it's 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 so hard to imagine that he'll ever be the player that. I mean, it's the same with Johnny Williams. I mean, if Johnny Williams was never injured, what a player he would have been. And he never never quite hit heights all because of injury. And it must be so frustrating for these kids who just work so hard to get into this situation. And then yeah. one tackle, one missed turn, and it's it's gone from his heartbreak. We we make light of it, but you're exactly right, Kevin. I think we have to think about the player. And, and fingers crossed that if... He has a great career somewhere. If yeah, he's not with yeah, Palace, anyway, then yeah, hopefully yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the support we've provided him means that he's able to go on and, and have a yeah. career because clearly there is a talent there. And, and, and Palace did play the system and, and tried to get him. But I, I actually think he's in his fourth season now at Palace. So Is he? Yeah, yeah. quite possible. I think he signed a one-year extension at the expiry of his three-year deal in the summer. But anyway, we, we make light of it, but we shouldn't because it's you know yeah. a serious situation. We wish him all the best and hope his recovery uh, continues to, to be a positive one and, and that... We at least see him start to maybe get minutes for the for the twenty threes. That might yeah, be where yeah. he starts to get his minutes, and we'll see where he goes from there. But we'll bring the uh, question part to an end there. Thank you for your question. Sorry we didn't get round to yours if we didn't, um, but please do keep sending them in. Uh, we we do read them before we get going, and it gives us a chance to kind of plan what we talk about throughout the pod. So thank you for sending through. Um, it's, I love that. That's a great Jade. We do read them. We just don't necessarily well, read, I read them. them. I read, yeah, we don't we read don't them out loud. We don't necessarily read them out. <laughs> we do read them. Read them <laughs> yeah, we, la- we laugh inside. Oh, great, fantastic. <laughs> uh, join us after the break, and it's Kevin's first go at 3 2 1. To part three and the final part of this week's FYP podcast. Hey. Hey. Yeah, we're coming to an end. Here we go. Sponsored by our friends at Green King Sports. Okay, Kevin, your first go at uh, this season's new uh, game, I guess we'll call it. Oh, Three, two, one. Another uh, change. Another change. Another change. <laughs> another change. It's just like going back to uh go back to a pub you haven't been into for 10 years, and you hang on a second, where's the fruit? New, new staff, or new fruity. To... Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all changed, last... yeah. Well, after that sloping pub I used to drink in, and it, it, it seems to have disappeared. It was lovely. It's, it's all all new. All well, it's a, it, well, it's a, it's a new game JD's devised. And um, <laughs> for, for listeners that haven't yet tuned in this season, and for Kevin, let's uh, quickly just go over it. So three of us will each nominate a player, um, focusing on the positive rather than the negative. And then as a council, we'll come to decide who gets the three points, who gets the two, and who gets the one. JD assures us he's monitoring a spreadsheet, which is oh, okay. calculating who gets the most points by the end of the season. I think with the idea of reintroducing the FYP Player of the Year, Kevin. 
Oh, I'd be delighted to hear that. Jim, <laughs> right on the mantelpiece, I'm sure. I, can, I, won't, can, I won't be hosting it. <laughs> you can host our one. You can definitely. We'll, we'll do our own one. Uh, Kevin, as it's your first go, over to you for kind of nominee of your... It can be anyone, but you know, we focused on players previously, um, but it can be anything to do with, with your current feelings about Palace, really, but focusing ideally on the positive rather than the negative. So it's basically the three best players from on Sunday. Pretty much, or someone you want to give a nod to, but yeah, ideally the three uh, best performers. Well, I, I think I, I, I think when your your striker, your starting striker gets two goals, that's that's got to be the three, isn't it? I would I would have thought. I, I think we'll, we we may well come to that conclusion. But is Odson Edward your your nominee? For the, for this uh, week, he, he, yeah. Do you want all three of my nominees, or oh no, you just get one. Just, we all get we get one. Oh, each. I see. We just get one each, right? Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, we all bring one to the party, and then we decide uh, who, who gets it. Oh, oh, yeah. I think it's got to be. Uh, you, you, you can't ask more from your it, 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 his his all round performance in the first half wasn't good enough. But yeah. if, if if it's going to be the case in every game that he ends up scoring two goals. Then that's what his job is. So I, I think it's got to be, and, and also because he scored two good goals and his his link up play and his creativity in the second half was really good. So yeah, it's got to be odds on. For yeah, no, it, it definitely a fair shout. And um, I, I wonder if both of you have have heard that Roy's sought the advice of Brendan Rodgers regarding how to get the best out of. I bet he loved that, didn't he? I bet <laughs> yeah, he loved that. Call. Ringing Brendan Rodgers for advice, I imagine, is one laborious exercise. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, a different story. <laughs> I bet. I bet, I bet that, was, I bet that was a laugh a minute, wasn't it? Can you imagine? I bet that phone call didn't start. Have you heard about? Can you? Here's one for you, Brendan. You know Ray Lewington's driving cabs now. <laughs> no, he's not, is he? I do. It'd be nice if we got the Odson Edward song. If we nick the Odson song from Celtic, but um, plenty yeah, of I, chat I, I about that's that really interesting. It's really interesting. Every now and again, Roy Roy plays his cards close to his chest, but every now and again, he reveals. Quite a personal, not personal as such, but he he will reveal as he did with that he spoke to Brendan Rogers about Edward and how to get the best out of him, and was very I thought it was very clever the way he said that Rogers enthused about his technical skill, and yeah. I, I thought that was either fabulously indiscreet or a really good bit of man management because it's it's not the sort of thing that you'd expect a manager to say, but I, it, it, it whatever it helps, whatever helps to get the best out of him, fantastic. I don't care who he asks. It, it it just makes me think that had Roy not made a career as a you know top flight manager, one of the leading lights of European coaching for the last forty years, he'd have done well in espionage. He he knows how to <laughs> he knows how to move between people. Like it's it's a good technique, as as you say. Speaks all the languages. He does. Yeah. He does. Yeah, that would explain a lot. Smart Swedish secret guy. services. Unbelievable. What do you Smart say? looking guy. <laughs> Likes a cocktail. Yeah. Ray Lewington, the, Ray Lewington, <laughs> the muscle. That's all good. Ray Lewington's uh, the, odd, the odd job, isn't he? Ray Lewington's <laughs> the... <laughs> Ray's had more mentions this season, or this episode this season, without JD present than he uh, has when JD has been present. Ray's, um, doing, a, Ray's doing a great... Again, they both... Seem like different animals. They both seem slightly sophisticated. Is not the right word, but they 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 both seem happier, yeah, a, a little bit than they did in their first spell. Whether that's because it's just a better squad or a team's in a better play, I don't know. But both of them seem happier, and the, there seems a better atmosphere on the on the bench. And when and this, I'm not comparing them to the Vieira era, I'm comparing them to the previous Roy yeah. era here. They seem 
happier in her own. Roy's a lot more smiley in post-match interviews than he has been before. Yeah, which is, which is unless yeah. unless you concede in the ninety-sixth minute. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, one man we haven't mentioned, I don't think at all, that this season is the education that Paddy McCarthy's getting from you know a Premier League bench. He's there every game, and, and I've noticed the club are doing a lot of interviews with him. I don't know if yeah, that's part yeah. of his kind of his tutelage in terms of becoming a, a Premier League manager. But he must be must be learning so much from from those two, Joe. He, yeah, uh, I think. Well, I think it was clear from the day of the appointment when he was announced as the assistant rather than Ray, and Ray would be in mm. a more first team coach capacity. But there's evidently whether it is succession planning or whether it's just something that suits their energies a bit more and how the dynamic has to evolve as they're all both getting on a bit. But um, I, yeah, I, I, it's a real great education. I don't know what, what more you could ask for if, if you're somebody in his position, bar actually being thrown in to the, the the big job. Um what I thought was very interesting uh, to observe on Sunday and it may continue long into the season. This new rule that's been introduced about I think only one member of the yeah, coaching it, staff could be in the yeah. dugout. Paddy McCarthy struggled with that quite a lot. <laughs> uh, it, there was a whenever I'd look over there were quite a few instances of the the fourth official going please go away like could please sit down Paddy St- you stop talking like just I've asked you once to ask you twice yeah. that type of thing. yes and, I, um, I, I think I think Joe that's the sort of thing as as we've seen already that the added time is getting less and less I think by Christmas the the, we'll see the end of that the technical areas will have as many people in it as <laughs> right okay because they you can you can see it is already being ignored by a, 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 I don't think it's deliberately being ignored. It's just finding instinctive. It so it's it's instinctive, and and you you see a couple of teams trying to make an effort of one goes forward and one comes back, but as soon as something happens, there's a foul. They're all they're all piling in. Yeah. Well, the one man who suffered the most with that is Jason Tindall at Newcastle. He's not getting his minutes on camera that he uh, <laughs> very much enjoys. Go, you're you're nominee for three two one this week. I suppose it it would be unfair. It'd be remiss to to not include the other forward option, given his contribution. It's mm. for a smaller period of time, let's say, but JP Mateta, second second week in a row, it, and even himself, I think he's had it said in interviews, it's probably his best week he's had at the club. Which I know it's a low bar, kind of, but I, I <laughs> yeah. What were the other contenders for that? Uh... Probably, probably that that in a similar circumstances, a fortnight or so, week or so, when he looks like he's going to leave. And he scores in a dead rubber against Norwich, and yeah. then and in the middle game not long after. The- well, Jamie, just on that, Jamie Prager actually asked earlier on, and we didn't have time to talk this one. But he says, "Do we need to threaten to sell Mateta every week? We can pull out performances <laughs> like that, and maybe we need to ask that the Saudi transfer window stays open forever. I don't know, but uh, maybe that threat is what needs uh, these kind of to, to get JP going. Oh, I, don't, I don't think that's why the Saudis were here last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever the reasons they were here for, and uh, they wasn't on, to, to cast. Yeah, no, it's a fair nominee. I, I think, uh, yeah, those two definitely worth nominee. Uh, sorry, worth nominating. Um, and I think I'll round it off with the other to be involved in the goal scoring. I think Ebrey Cherze for his first of the season. Hopefully, the first of many this season. But I thought not only was Matessas. I think lost in the the mire of the <laughs> amusement about Matessas on a backflip. I think got lost on just how lovely a touch it was from Eze to but kind of it, set himself. That was that was. Absolutely. Touch of class, wasn't it, Kevin? It was good. The um, the, the TV coverage for some—I don't know whether they're a cameraman short or a camera person short—I should say—but the TV coverage wasn't brilliant on right. uh, even. I don't know whether it's the Premier League cameras or whatever, but you didn't get a really good angle of of Eze's finish. 
which you would normally expect because it was a You're right. It, was, it looked a bit off centre, didn't it? It looked a little bit off centre and it was slightly from behind him. So you didn't get like the five or six views that you normally get because it was a great finish. I, I don't think Edward actually kind of got the credit for the second goal that he deserved because you talked, you described it at the start of the show how he let the defender come across him, sat him down and sat the keeper down as well. He gave the keeper the eye. So, and then, but again, that's because the, the, the broadcast coverage seemed a little bit odd. The, the whole, across the whole weekend, the broadcast coverage seemed to be starting. I don't know if it was... Well, and, and, and to see that coverage, you can go to a Green King pub. That's what I would say. But anyway, that's... Uh, uh, I think just on Ebbs, I think uh, what I hadn't realised is that goal ended the passage of play that started with the free kick that was very well saved by Jose. So that was actually the same passage of play. The ball was never, it really? Yeah, ball never went out. And Mordy's oh, okay. uh, vision that put it back in the box, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nice to have... Play- it's, it's nice to have players running on to or anticipating flick-ons, which yeah. as we Kevin earlier mentioned Benteke's prob, uh, surely bemusement at the first goal there Edward scored being, where was that while I was here? I think equally he would go, what, you, there were people willing to run on to, to our flick-ons. I think yeah, yeah. It's been, I, really? I think we've been very, we've lacked in, in that so much. So it was, that was part of that all just one of many things that made that particular goal so delightful. Yeah, you're right. That that kind of ghost run is is what scores a lot of goals in the Premier League. That and, and when you've got a team that are being a little bit sorry for themselves, Wolves, and even when they're at one one, they never really have the confidence to to push forward. And, and they're a team, I think, you know, we haven't said it, but I think judging from what we saw on Sunday, I'd expect them to be milling around the bottom five for much of the season. I didn't see much from Wolves, Kevin, but um I, I wouldn't think uh, think much for their hopes this season. I think Wolves is bigger. And again, you know, let's not end with the negative way we started. But a better team than Wolves, we would have been 2-0, 3-0 down at, yeah, at half-time. And I think I think at half-time, Wolves, their attitude seemed to be, let's try and keep keep hold of the point because they, they sat back and let us go at them. I think Wolves' big hope is that the three promoted teams, we're not going to see a season like last season where so unusually the three promoted teams stayed up it's it's hard to see the only thing you don't want to see with Luton is that they lose the next two or three games and then carry that on because yeah it's only nine years since they're in the National League Sheffield United look like they, they don't want to spend the money on on staying up Burnley's been the one that surprised me because I thought of the three promoted teams they would be the I've one that had, a, had a tough they, start uh, they, they have but they haven't looked they look pretty average they've, they've they? looked, and I think again is that there's that tendency in, in English football sometimes you think, oh, Vincent Company, he's continental, he's cool, he, he he rocks a baseball bat, he must be a top-class manager. And I think we're seeing that it's a lot more difficult than we imagine. And I, I mean, again, that's only good news for, for Palace, of course, because you do, when you're a grumpy old sort of like me, the first thing you do every season is look for the three clubs you're going to finish above. And I, I think we are a better team than quite a few teams in that, in that division. Yeah. But Wolves... I would I would be worried if I was. It's about me talking to Kieran. Kieran was at the, the 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 Wolves game when Brighton took them apart. I mean, really yeah. took them apart. And I, I think Wolves. I mean, they they were comfortable in possession for quite some time, but I mean, going forward, much with it. And they didn't do much with it at all. And then, and defensively, they were they were quite um, they were quite flaky. And, and I, I think in the end, I I, would, I thought we would probably get more goals towards the end. I was just, I was surprised. You know, a 4-1 would have been a fairer result than 3-2 actually was in the end, which... Uh, oh, yeah, I, 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 I agree I mean, with that. At, at half-time, 
as I said in my tweet, no one at half time in the Arthur Waite was saying this looks like a, it's got five goals for it written all over it, isn't it? It's just a matter of who scores first, and then there's going to be punch for punch. It was just it's uh, it coming. Uh, yeah, uh, but again, it goes back to the thing. Old school Roy, four years ago, if we'd left that game winning one nil, you'd go, oh, right, it wasn't fun, but we've got three points. Yeah. As it happened, you left going, well, we've got three points, and some of it was. Quite good fun, actually. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll take it. But I think you're right. I think if we'd left that game without the three points, um, it, it would have felt very bittersweet because of you know how poor a lot of fans would have assessed Wolves to be. What well, do you know? In the, in, the, in the same way that his very first game back, the Leicester game set that pattern because we would have been so. And again, you know, good luck, Jean Philippe, because if we'd left that Leicester game with only a point, that would have that would have been a kick in the teeth because we played. So well, and we're so positive. But again, it's a game that we wouldn't have we wouldn't have won. Yeah. Old school, Roy. And so the the signs are that this is a uh, a different approach, and it is it is quite enjoyable. And it's he's a man reborn. Is that what you're saying? I I don't know whether it's just he's working with better players, whether he's yeah. decided this this he didn't want Watford to be his swan song. He didn't want that to be the way into his career. Whether he just thinks, look, what yeah, my my reputation is such with Palace fans, it's fine. But we are, we are a different. There's a different team. There's a different approach. The the players seem to get on really well with each other. They, you know, there's a there's a unity there. I think there's a, there's a spirit there that I don't think we saw two or three seasons ago. And uh, I. I've, I, I, I'm not going to use the word optimism because it doesn't come naturally. It's like a cat with a furball. It kind of, I have to kind of cough out, but it, it is, it, you know, these are, and I'm also, again, I can't tell you how happy I am. It's an international break. So we get a whole, a whole fortnight of just, I just look at the league table now. Remember looking at that? News now. I just, I just have a look at that. Go on to the seventh, look at that. <laughs> just, just about Roy, and, and we'll, we'll bring it to an end, Lister. We, we will bring it to an end, I promise. But just about Roy very quickly and talking about that kind of optimism you, you referenced there. If, and, and maybe American listeners are probably more familiar with these guys, but Men in Blazers, a uh, American football magazine show. They had a, a very charming interview with Roy uh, during the preseason, which I think is available on YouTube. And he practically referred to that Watford spell as an absolute disaster. <laughs> he kind of referenced walking on his first day, being like, "What the hell have we decided yeah, yeah. to do here?" So I'm really glad he's had a chance to kind of hopefully re-end his career, as it were, at yeah. the club that he loves, at the club that loves him. And who knows where this season might go? But as you know, we've talked for for the last hour or so about. Um, the positives and but the, probably the, the one of the, the best things I saw all weekend was him assuring us that there's stuff to improve on. He's not kind of resting on his laurels, and, and we'll see. Let, let's just kind of allocate the score. I'm, I'm going to kind of do it for us because I think it's it's there, and it's you know three points for Odson, two for JP, and I think we can give Ebbs the one there. I think you're right, Kevin. You can't give the man that scores two Premier League goals and his first double in since his debut against Spurs two years ago. Um, so I think we'll give with Odson his. Joe, am I thinking his first points of the season? Is he now on the balls? I I believe so. I believe so. I'm not not with much confidence, but uh, take it. We trust JD. JD's Mr. Spreadsheet, so yes. we we trust he's doing that. You know that first that first game, the Tottenham game, was almost the worst thing that happened to Edward. Because <laughs> because the right. just just because of the expectation it set up, and we we all thought we kind of went away and said we finally got that. We've got the twenty goal a season strike. We've got the fox in the box. That we've always wanted, and suddenly so much was expected of him, and it, it it's a huge. Uh, you know, my cousins in Glasgow won't thank me for saying this; they're Celtic fans. But it's a huge step up from the from the Premier League in Celtic uh, in Scotland 
to the to the Premier League here, and it, it, maybe it's taken him that two seasons to to fully adjust to the the physical strength and the pace of of this league. Maybe it's the same with Mateta that it's finally taken him a season and a half to fully get used to what's what's expected of you, because you can't in the Premier League you, you can't just do the goal scoring bit. Whatever if you're a, if you're a fullback, you can't just be a wide defender. You know, you've got to be getting full. No, there's, there's no position in football anymore in the modern game where you're just one thing. You've got to be oh, so many other things. It's all evolved, and maybe it's just take it. And maybe you know, Roy has seen things in training that we haven't seen, and, and decided let's you know let's not splurge thirty million quid on somebody that isn't going to be better than you know just because you will go. Oh, you would bring in here actually, but the only reason you say that is because he plays for a different club. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's not it's, it wouldn't have been that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like if Edward was at Leicester, he wouldn't be going. Oh, bring in Edward. It's like it's just it's just like something must be done. Bringing in actually would be something. So let's do it. So yeah, well, Bob, we, Bobson, know. if you're listening, you, you've had a great weekend. And you've now earned the three points from three, two, one, mate. So I don't think it gets much better than that. So <laughs> it, well, it's I, all I, good. I can I can go up above that. Uh, news were, news emerged on Monday. Oh, he'd had a very good week, hasn't he? Yes. Go on. There was a some sort of driving penalty. I think he'd had points on his license. Right. And yeah. on Monday, it was reported in the news that he'd had those points taken off him. Oh. And because of uh, because of well, I didn't read the full story, but I think he was wrongly convicted of of the driving charges or whatever. I believe so. that's right. I believe so. He's had a, he's a good week in the Edward household. Yes. So he wins three points. He loses three points. <laughs> yeah. Really. We do. Uh, what a lovely way to end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Joe. Um, Kevin, thank you for your first appearance of the season. First of first of a few many, I, I hope, uh, throughout well, the, I, the I season. But maybe I, with a different host. Maybe I, we're, revolving chair in this parts now. So is it, I, I would I would hope to do a few more. So I've got. Very little else to do at seven o'clock on a Tuesday evening, <laughs> normally, to be honest. But yeah, I've, I always uh, enjoy doing it. It's been fantastic. You've been a great host. Isn't it? Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, where is JD, by the way? Is it, or should I, uh, I think uh, technical term is he's growing up. I think that's what he's trying to do. Uh, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> it's taken a while. Let's take no, a while. I, I think we just had a chat during the summer and thought we'd, we'd try and share the load a bit and um, uh, nice. and give listeners a different perspective from, from week to week. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, listeners, you're, st- <laughs> you're still there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, I think uh, there are uh, rumours of a uh, patron pod later in the week um, and possibly... Uh, a midweek pod next week. Also, uh, the next of our interview series to drop in the next few days too. So for patrons, I hope that's dropping tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, and for everyone else, that'll be dropping on Friday. So not too long to wait for that one. So despite no Palace on the pitch, plenty of Palace to listen to. Um, listen, I hope you're well. I hope you're enjoying the heat, but keeping cool at the same time. Uh, wherever you might be, it could be hot or cold wherever you are listening. We, we're, we're global. So, you know, it's, it's something we need to bear in mind. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. Uh, up the Palace and... Uh, We'll uh, we'll be back soon. Many thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.